In today's show, we discuss why do you believe in something and what is your evidence for that belief? And now, the TNT Talk Show, daring to go where other podcasts fear to Hello, I'm Tony Fasula, and I share the stage with my esteemed friend and colleague, Tayo Boya. Tayo, hello, my friend, once again. I hope you are keeping safe and well. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm going to ask you back again to say hello to our audience. Oh, naff off, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'll ask, I'll say hi to the audience. Hello, audience. Welcome back to our shenanigans. Anyway, in today's show, we discuss why people believe in things and what is that evidence to enforce that belief. So, Taya, you came up with this particular subject. Do you want to express your initial feelings about it? I was listening to a debate between three individuals. Someone... They were all scientists, but one was a scientist who was investigating the paranormal. Another was your sort of standard scientist, if there's such a thing. And the third was a, a, a doctor of the philosophy of science. And they were discussing the nature of scientific evidence and what, what constituted proper evidence. And I was shocked that the philosopher of science was the one who had perhaps the worst grasp of, of the problem of all three. Okay. Uh, he said some completely outrageous things. Uh, he said, one of the things he said was, uh, if anyone didn't believe in the theory of evolution, they weren't even worth speaking to. And oh. I found that, yes, I found that pretty, pretty shocking because whatever evidence he was depending on is, is, as I'm going to try to show during the course of this, of this episode, I'm going to try to show that there are problems with it, not to discuss it as, not to discuss the evidence as something proving or disproving evolution, but to discuss evidence on its own merit, that how good is this piece of evidence from the point of view of being evidence, that's all. So I'm not going to try to rehash all the arguments about evolution or about UFOs. We're going to look at the evidence and try to understand what do we mean by evidence and then try to say how strong or how weak is this evidence. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yes, yes, absolutely. We're not arguing the original, we're not arguing evolution, we're not arguing the UFOs or anything else. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about the nature of evidence itself. Yeah, what and makes that's what evidence... Evidence. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think we'll be we'll be debating you and I about about various pieces of evidence and what we think is that strong or is it not strong? Mm. And we'll have to explain why we think it's strong or not strong. And that, that's okay. why I thought it'd be a good episode. Okay. Excellent. Do you want to kick things off then, in particular? Well, I'm looking at a website and it's talking about the strong evidence for evolution. And one of the first things it talks about is uh, vestigial organs. The idea you have to explain that, to our listeners what that is, and to me, because I have no idea. <laughs> well, the vestigial organ is one that is left over from a former evolutionary state. So if you think about the appendix, 
for many time for many years this was called a vestigial organ and it was said it was claimed we didn't need them yeah and the idea being that in our previous evolutionary forms we had there was a function for them but as we evolved away from those forms we we didn't need them any any longer okay and just there's no there hasn't been an evolutionary pressure to get rid of them okay. so they're just hanging around useless bits of of in this case uh, useless bits of uh, an intestine or a small intestine or an addition to an intestine which is absolutely useless okay or like um when they say that your your nose of your coccyx mm. is the remnants of the tail yes so it's a remnant this is a vestigial you know thing of, of the tail that's what they mean by vestigial organ okay so it's some part of the body which we've got examples of as you've already said mm-hmm. that we we no longer need they don't seem to have a purpose and so it's 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 classed as because of evolution it's no longer needed but what's what's the evidence to well you feel that the evidence is weak to make that claim yes the evidence is weak because when you think about it you have to first of all assume that evolution is true before you can speak about leftover and vestigial organs if you are like me a creationist you wouldn't look at the appendix and think that's a vestigial organ you just think i don't know what it's used for right now okay. do you see yeah 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 and if you depend on the conclusion in order to if you depend on the conclusion in order to reach your conclusion does that make any sense yeah yeah then that's circular thinking and it can't be a good piece of evidence because all you you're, you're confirming your bias basically yes but, yeah, so that's a useless piece of evidence. No, but but in the in the jigsaw, which is in in this example that we're discussing of evolution, nobody knows one hundred percent because we for for evidence to be one hundred percent irrefutable, you have to be seeing it and repeating it. That's what evidence. Wait, what? No, what? You have What's to there? for proving evidence one hundred percent. You have to be able to see it and repeat it. That's how the, the true term of evidence is. So you see it and you can repeat it, then you know it's almost infallible because you've seen it. There's been many witnesses of, of seeing it. And if you can then repeat it elsewhere, like an experiment, for instance, you've got evidence that's been repeated. So the, the same inputs, you get the same result. So it's a repeatable piece of evidence. That's almost a rubber stamp to say that evidence is 100% correct. That's the true truest form of evidence, a repeatable item that's been found, discovered. You can repeat it. You can see it. You can measure it. It's the same. Like a, I don't know, I can't even give an example, but that's that's the sort of idea of evidence. But in, in evolutionary terms, there is, the, the evidence isn't all, you, you don't see it. You haven't sort of gone to the dawn of time and seen visually and measured it how things have changed so what we've got is this jigsaw of missing pieces and we get little pieces in this big jigsaw and some bits of it in isolation look a particular way so you put the piece 
in the jigsaw where you think it is. And you're trying to get this big picture, a big jigsaw piece of what the underlying image is and the image is evolution. But you've got these little pieces in. So in isolation, when you look at it, like you've, your example with the, the coccyx and yeah, yeah, some of those, those organs, they seem to indicate a piece in the jigsaw. Oh, that must be a remnant of a past evolution where we no longer need it. And on the surface, that sort of makes sense if, if it's taken in isolation. So you take a lot of these pieces in isolation to build up the big picture. Now, you're right. True evidence would mean seeing evolution in action from start to finish where we are now. So you'd have to see and witness the exact changes in each of the changes that are explained in evolutionary theory. But you don't. We, do, we can't see that because the time frame is too big. So these missing pieces that are put in this big jigsaw to make up evolution are not necessarily 100 percent evidence, but they make up a picture. And so scientists look at that and go, well, we've got enough pieces now to make a accurate, in their eyes, prediction of the whole theory. And that's that's how it is. So the evidence where the gaps are, where, the, where they don't have, uh, um, you know, information to fill those pictures, they are extrapolating it and thinking, well, OK, that seems to indicate based on these other jigsaw pieces, we seem to know what's in those uh, those other gaps so this is the theory we believe to get from here to here and that doesn't work now if you know what your picture is and you're trying to fit in a piece then you can say there's a missing piece and this and this piece that i have in my hand will, will, will fit in there and it's part of the picture when you don't know what the picture is you can't actually go along and say you can't use this piece to say you know what the picture is. You can only know whether that piece fits if you know what the picture is. You, it's, it's this thing I said about circular reasoning. If you, if you are saying that I know what the picture is because I understand this piece, this piece in my hand, and I understand this piece in my hand because I know what the picture is, then you're lying. Something's wrong. You can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be both. It's either you know what the picture is, and therefore you look, and then you go, well, I know what the picture is. Aha, and this is where the appendix fits in as um, a uh, vestigial organ, or you don't know what the picture is, and there's no such thing as a vestigial organ because you don't know whether it's vestigial or not. By the way, before you go too far, let me explain something to you. Both examples I gave are now no longer considered to be vestigial organs. We understand now what the appendix is for. We didn't in, in the 60s when they took mine out. <laughs> okay, what is it for then? It's where you grow certain bacteria, certain microbes that help your digestion. That's where they grow, an incubator for that. And your coccyx is various very important muscles attached to it. And if you take it out, uh, you have all sorts of issues with um, going to the loo, for instance. Right. So we so, say in therefore, there aren't any vestigial organs anymore. We don't know. I don't know of any examples. I think okay. they've more or less given up on those now. 
and they're not talking about junk DNA, but the more we find out about the so-called junk DNA, this is DNA that's left over from when we were, again, previous evolutionary forms, which we no longer need and we no longer use, but we haven't gotten rid of. So they're just hanging around there and not doing anything. That's Based actually on the, quite a, a, an interesting argument. And I'm very surprised that uh, the scientists use these terms. And I'm, I'm really, when they say junk when something's junk DNA. I mean, I have heard that in the media and I'm wondering whether that's the media paraphrasing scientists to explain they don't know what that DNA is. And so they attach the term junk DNA because it's quite a compelling, you know, title, junk DNA, what's that? That would certainly intrigue an audience to want to know what they're talking about. Because if you don't know what, that dna is why would you associate the term junk to it doesn't fit anything you currently know about so surely it should be unknown rather than junk it's well they thought they knew that it didn't do anything that's what they thought right or think not if not past tense they think it doesn't do anything they think it's just it's just there for no good reason it's just a waste of time a waste of space it's just just useless and that's why they're calling it junk I'm going to say something which is really strange. It's like in my previous life, when I was a lot younger, I was an engineer and we used to have to work on big, big printers and take them apart. And you had to service them. So you stripped it down to get all the constituent parts, clean it up, replace the bits that were faulty and then put it all back together again. And hopefully with fingers crossed, you would never let or never have a screw left over or a, a bolt or a tiny little piece of something. It wouldn't stop the functioning of the printer, but you always wondered what the heck this little piece was. <laughs> yeah. Now you wouldn't term that as junk. You would say, okay, I don't know where that goes. I checked every little bit again, ensuring all the pieces were in place. Everything functions 100%, but this one piece, where the hell did this come from? So it raises the question, but you don't think it's junk. And I'm very surprised that scientists would refer to something in DNA that they're unsure, and that's all it is, unsure about, then term it junk. I'm, I'm surprised by that. I don't respect them enough to be surprised by it, I'm afraid. As you know, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. Indeed, indeed. Well, going back to the... Um, Going back to the jigsaw analogy, where you've got this picture, but you don't know the picture. You've assumed it because that's how you, you know, you're trying to imagine what that picture is. Because when there's a lot of people that put jigsaws together as a form of relaxation, just as an example, that don't want to know what the end picture is. Let me stop you there. In this case, we don't have just the one picture. We have at least two. We have creationist, the creationist model. Yes. And we have the evolutionist model. Okay. Now, if you don't know which picture it is, and you could be one of either of the two, then it's not that you are not certain that the piece in your hand fits the picture that you're trying to put back together again. That's not quite the same as buying a jigsaw from a shop and you know that all the pieces will actually fit. 
then that just becomes a matter of, of, of pure patience. Are you you just keep trying each and every single one until you've got your picture. Yeah, but, but if, if it's jumbled up, well, if there are two pictures jumbled up and you don't know, then you could be really wasting your time. And that's well, that, what I'm that, going to tell you, that you okay, don't know that's interesting. But the yeah, that, that's that's actually a better analogy, what you've just said, where there's potentially two pictures mixed together in this example, and you're trying to put the jigsaw together, and so far the pieces that have been put in have been more on the evolutionary side yes, than the creationist side. Yes, so, yes, no, no, this is my analogy of the situation. So this jigsaw picture, you're looking at it, and most of the pieces so far, okay, have been pieces from the evolutionary picture. That's a terrible, that's, in fact, one of the things of evidence when I was reading up on this subject, one of, one of the, the types of evidence is called example. And one of the flaws is a bad example. You've just given a terrible example. Why I I, I'm not going to example? accept that most of the pieces fit evolution. They don't. Most no, of no, the no. pieces I'm fit not creation. They do or don't. I just given an analogy of how. But please the... give a different one because it's uh, it's uh, a think... no. You are you what you're seeding. You are not uh, seeding with an S E E D. You are seeding the argument in your favor if you say that. No, no, no. Assuming I'm, I'm... evolution is true, let's look at this. Well, yeah, because it's assumed it's true. So, if you want, if you want to use an analogy, put it like this: use this, use use this analogy instead. Um, most of the most of the pieces so far have proven creationism. Now, continue. Okay. You don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Absolutely. Go on. Right, go if on. most of the pieces have proved creationism, then mm -hmm. the 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 jigsaw picture is pointing more to creationism. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was just making an example. I wasn't my my view is neither. I'm uh, I've still got the you know I'm not swayed either way at the moment. I'm a fence sitter. <laughs> so if, you, if I, I give you a random if I give you a random piece of of jigsaw, yeah, I just give you a random jigsaw. Is that what it's called? What do you call one piece? I give you a random piece. Yeah, a random piece from the jigsaw. That's right. From if I give you a random piece from the jigsaw and I say to you now. Which picture does that belong to? I, what, I, I don't say. say. You see, I'm not saying which picture. No, I'm, I'm trying to say, but evidence. that's the evidence thing, isn't it? That as yeah, a piece yeah. of evidence, yeah. it's useless to say that it's the the uh, vestigial organs are evolutionist or they're, they're creationist. That's the whole point, that it's not evidence. That's the point I'm trying to say, that it's weak evidence. It, 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 if, you, if, you're, if you're claiming that it's for evolution... Then the fact that then you you've assumed evolution in order to claim that it's for evolution, which makes it a weak piece of evidence. Well, no, because you're looking at it in isolation, aren't you? And you're seeing, you say, well, okay. No, you're not looking at it in isolation. Things. You're looking at it as an evolutionist. No, I'm looking at it as a scientist who's unbiased. Would well, if it's or, if you're unbiased, then how do you know it's got anything to do with any other thing that that you you, you show me a previous form. They had it, this this appendix, and then show me how we evolved from that form into our present form, and show me how the appendix changed over time and became what it is now. Exactly, that's absolutely right, and I would want the same answers. No, but there's no such thing, is there? We don't even well, know. We, we don't, don't know that, that do we? We, we don't even agree on a common ancestor. Ergo, you don't know that that was 
in a previous form because we don't even know that we had a previous form. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That how do you say that this is a vestigial organ when you haven't even proven, you know, proven that we had a previous form? You're only assuming it. It's but the assumption that makes it wrong. No, it's okay. The, you are assu- you're standing on the thing you're trying to assume. No, Sorry. No, 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 no. You're standing that's on how the thing. you have to look at evidence. No, that's a fantasy. That's a logical fantasy. It's called, it's called self-reference. You're referencing yourself. It's wrong. You can prove anything like that. Tony, I, I, I assume that Tony is a demon. How do I know? Because Tony is a demon. That doesn't make sense. You can make anything true like that. Please say Tony is a saint rather than a demon. I can, well, okay, I, I chose on purpose, but, you know, Tony is a saint. How do I know? Because Tony is a saint. It doesn't make any sense. You can prove anything. It's a logical fallacy. You cannot depend on the, your assumption to reach your conclusion. Okay. So you're now, the, the argument regarding evolution and the evidence that's presented, I mean, you've picked a really big subject, actually, because... Yes, evidence for certain things within evolution are are loose, in, in if I can use that term. They are they are assumptions, and they look at the look at the evidence. It's not if it was in a court of law, it wouldn't be slam dunk. Let's put it that way. You know, you wouldn't find the work the murder weapon with the the perpetrator's DNA and fingerprints all over it. Do you see what I mean? It's it's not a slam dunk. So. With evolution, they have found evidence. They didn't know, didn't know if, I mean, the, the word evidence, they found stuff and class it as evidence to make up this, this jigsaw that we've just been talking about. And then, and then making conclusions based on that, yeah, rather which... than keeping quiet, taking each bit in isolation and then collectively to see whether or not the pieces are enough to make a proper judgment call on these things. So, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I'm agreeing with you. The, the evidence is, isn't bulletproof. It's okay um, at best, but it's not enough to slam dunk that statement of... Yeah. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying it's flawed evidence. I'm saying that vestigial organs is flawed evidence okay. because it contradicts the rules of logic. Okay. So it, it should be thrown out and no one should, should mention it. All right. Let, let's Junk DNA it, should be thrown out and no one should mention it because it fails for the same reason. It's bad evidence. Okay. It's evidence that depends on, on the assumption of evolution. Right. Okay. Now, when you... When you have, when you, when you try out the E. coli experiment and you find that E. coli can, can digest, uh, is it sugar or something that, that normal E. coli cannot, that it is, if you like, evolved and it cannot digest things that uh, previous, its previous ancestors could not, the, there's no need for any assumption. That's evidence. There's okay. not what you're arguing there. You know, what's, what's, what's the argument? Right. You, you see it in action. And okay. if you, you said early on in this discussion, you spoke about, about repeatable experiments. Yeah. yeah, you can repeat the experiment and you'll get the same results. So that shows, so you've got an example there of evolution. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying you've got an example, good evidence for, evolu- for, for evolution. Right. Uh, sort of, you know, that it, it's not, 
this is why I said we're not talking about if we're not trying to read, we're not retrying evolution here today. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at the evidence. The evidence. So the, in that in that case, the case of E. coli, that's just that's just evidence. That's just good evidence. There's there's, there's nothing to argue about. Okay. As we're talking about evolution in this instance, and there's evidence there that has changed and it has that genuinely happened that e coli has oh yes 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 has changed and now it can digest sugar where previously it couldn't i don't know if it's sugar it can digest something i've forgotten what it is it can digest okay. but well, previously, previously it couldn't leave. previously what well, if you just left it in a culture of that the, all the e coli would die now they thrive because they've adapted changed evolved in order to consume the presence of sugar in their environment. Yes, yeah, presence of whatever it is. I'm trying to remember that it should have in their environment. I do remember seeing something along yeah, those lines, yes. actually. Yes, it's a well-known yes. experiment. It's been on for donkey's years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, you see, these things do add evidence that things are constantly changing and possibly yeah. improving. So mm-hmm. that adds an argument for evolution. And evolution is like, I like that you said that. Now, as a piece of evidence for evolution, it's... It's undeniable. But then you got to start asking yourself, what do you mean by evolution? Let me give you an example, because example is also a type of evidence. I'm going to give you an example from the real world. Okay. I build a balloon. It's a small balloon, but I can hover about a thousand feet in the air. Okay. I build a bigger balloon and I can go even higher. Uh, can I hover at, say, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 feet in the air? Mm-hmm. So I build this humongous balloon. And now I can, uh, I can with special materials and everything, and now I can ascend to 40,000 feet in the air. Okay. And I'm so happy that when I get back down, I start making plans for building a balloon that can take me to the moon. Right. Do you see the problem? Right? You see the problem? Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't build a balloon to take you to the moon. It requires a different kind of propulsion system. Yeah. A different metaphor altogether. Now, if I start off with E. coli, and I end up with E. coli, and I call that evolution, that's fair enough, no problem. If you start off with a Galapagos finch with a small beak, and you can point to another island on the Galapagos where there's a finch with a large beak, those are still finches. But if you remember what Darwin called his book, he didn't call it the variation in species, he called it the origin of species. Where did the finch come from? Mm-hmm. Where did the E. coli come from? How did humans arise as a species? From where? And that is not evidence that we see E. coli, some E. coli being able to digest this or that. That's not the kind of evolution that Darwin was talking about when he said the origin of species. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, we can have variation. Species. Exactly. Yeah. We can have variation, and there's plenty of evidence for variation. The big leap is to go from variation into proper evolution, which is yeah. like going from that balloon into rocket science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a completely different thing. Which no, is I, I, I totally different. understand that. I totally understand that. But then what scientists, I mean, as we're sticking on the theme of evolution for this particular well, I want to get on to UFOs. Can go to, yeah, UFOs as well. well. We'll we'll touch on that. But the evidence, the evidence is, yeah, it's based on variations that we can see. But you then have to then say, okay, if evolution isn't 
the there's not enough evidence to enforce evolution as the way that happy humans and the whole of the animal kingdom for that matter got on the planet and changed over time etc then what where is the evidence to show an alternative view well you're sitting there the fact that we're here is pretty strong evidence that we're here i know but how are we here well the exact methodology is unknown but whatever it is we do say that we can follow the evidence uh, or from all the objects around us. You're using a computer, somebody somewhere created the computer. You speak into a microphone, somebody somewhere spoke into created a microphone. Every everything you see that is not that is that is not of nature had an a uh, cause and an intelligence behind it. So you can project that and go, well, if we're here, there must be a cause and intelligence for us being here. Because the other way, there's an accident. You then, uh, one person said, I to see we're arguing about evolution, which I didn't want to do. So I don't think, I, I, no, I'm not going to say what I wanted to say, because that would just take us down the anti-evolutionist thing. Okay. We're just going to stick to the evidence. Yeah, yeah. Sticking to the evidence, the evidence that we have is not for what nowadays people like me call macro-evolution which is how the species arrive. Yeah. It is for variation within species, which people like me call microevolution. So there's evidence for microevolution, but there's no evidence of macroevolution. There's theories, but not evidence. No, I agree. There's plenty I agree. of theory. Everybody and the sister has got a theory. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's... But the evidence is weak. They haven't found any, you know, like we said in a court of law, you know, smoking, smoking, smoking gun. gun, or you know, fingerprints yeah. on a knife. Yeah, that that sort of evidence. No, I agree. I agree. Which is I mean, what that philosopher of, of science I was talking about when he made that statement. I found that to be ridiculous. That the one person who should have been thinking about what as what does science mean as a philosophy was the one person who had the least uh, grasp of what makes good evidence. So it was pretty disgusting, really. Keeping keeping on the theme of whether there's evidence or not let's shift it away from evolution because we didn't like mm. you said we didn't want to stick on that yeah I don't subject, want to but it was a good that. example let's move it on to the ufo one because that's yes. something that we, we we've touched on before and it's it's something our listeners also like what's your view in terms of the evidence that we've seen thus far about ufos okay one type of evidence is personal experience and a report. So if only one, so I'm going to use scientists, but I don't have to. If just one scientist has seen something, let's, let's make it an astronomer. Okay. One astronomer observed something and reported it, but no one else has seen it. It's still worthy of note because then other astronomers can look for the same thing. Indeed. They can look out for it, okay? So it's not, it's not hard, you know, slam dunk evidence, oh, that's what's going on, but it is evidence of some sort. Yeah. Now, when it comes to UFOs, if we have evidence from people who have seen things, that's, that's not something that we can just throw out and just, just condemn out of hand and say, oh, what a lot of nonsense, because we have this report and even we ourselves have not seen it, 
we can look out for it. Yeah. And it's it's not strong evidence, but it's not zero evidence either. Yeah. I'd call it weak evidence. Yes. Okay. Now, if you have an object which you can't explain, in the sense that there's some reports, which I don't believe in, by the way, there are some reports of some objects which have been found in humans which defy molecular molecular uh, molecular analysis. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that's pretty strong evidence if the person then claims that it is of extraterrestrial origin. How would they make that claim? You see, they can't make the claim. No, they can claim that they were abducted and something was injected into them. And yep. then it can be looked at and something can be found and go, oh, well, there is something in here. Mm. And let's face it, it shouldn't be in there. Yeah. And that's pretty strong evidence, I'd say, taken yep. together. Indeed, indeed. And especially if the material that has then been subsequently removed mm. is unidentifiable yes. in terms of our knowledge. So scientific experimentation on the material that has been removed from the body, which shouldn't have been in it in the first place, mm-hmm. then they find that we don't even know what it is, mm. material, then that's a big, to me, that's evidence, hard evidence. It's pretty, it is pretty good evidence. However, I would want that to be reported in a peer review journal. Indeed. And that's what I'm not seeing. Yes. Right, so that's an issue. Yes, absolutely it is, because it has to then be corroborated by others so that same mm-hmm. piece of material has to be then reviewed peer reviewed and anal- analyzed by other people who then come to the same conclusion then you've got pretty much of a slam dunk that that is something very odd how how did it get in the body what is it although even at that point that doesn't conclude no that it's extraterrestrial it doesn't but no. it's but taken together with the with the host's anecdote, it's it's strongly suggestive that not it's actually a slam dunk either, though. It's not a slam dunk, but it's certainly I'd call that I'd call that strongish evidence, if not even strong evidence. Mm, yeah. Now, firstly, a UFO, UFO crash landing into your house and destroying your front living room—that's a slam dunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if the UFO that's, is that's done and well, dusted, baby, you know that's. I don't know. I'm sure either that's not i mean if we if we had to scale the evidence that's a good a good thing to do let's we say to a do to 10 scale the type of evidence oh, that's a so, 10 yeah a 10 is well i'm not sure well a ufo so, crashes into my, into my well, living room and i've got to i've got to make um uh, uh i've got to make a claim to my to my insurance company come on tony that's that's a 10 right the ufo could be an unidentified flying object made by the military that doesn't oh, make okay. it Sorry. Do you see what I mean? No, it no, could no. Be, it that was could my be loose a nine language. out of ten. Yeah? That's my loose language. Oh, I'll, okay. okay, I'll repair my language. <laughs> if an extraterrestrial object slams into my living room, <laughs> okay, and little yeah, green aliens pop out of it and start apologizing profusely, <laughs> yet at the same time refusing to pay for the damage, I'd say that's a slam dunk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The problem, the problem going back to evidence in terms of the UFO community as itself, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of a lot of examples of pictures that people have taken. Oh yes, the record, the type of evidence called record, uh, document, documentary evidence. That's that's another type of record. Uh, yeah, for, that's another type of evidence, documentary. 
And there's issues, as you're going to about, I'm sure you're about to, to mention, there are issues with that kind of evidence because it can be doctored. Absolutely. These so how strong, how strong is it on your scale of one to ten? Well, where I would I would raise it higher. I mean, obviously, visual evidence is one thing. Photographic evidence is another, especially if the photograph is fairly clear. Where it would improve the strength of the evidence even more is if other people in other vicinities unconnected to one another took photos of this said object and all produced a similar photo independent of each other. Well, of you're, talking about, you're talking about the one over, oh, who was it? Denver, was it? Where it, it was hovering for a while, yeah, the lights. And it's the triangular lights or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that various people took various pictures from various for different from different vantage points. Yeah, different vantage points totally independent from each other many many people you're not talking just two or three you're talking mm. you know high teens wasn't it or no even more than that i think i think it was close to 50 50 55 people all independent of one another in the denver area photographing these lights in the sky so so as far as evidence showing there was something in the sky is concerned that's almost a slam dunk for showing something in the sky yes but that doesn't prove it was extraterrestrial in origin. No, it doesn't. No. Yeah. And I don't well, think it was extraterrestrial. Probably yeah. the American military messing around. Well, it's possible. That can't be dismissed because there's not enough evidence in terms of what that actual light show was. Mm. Yes, it was strange. Yes, it was static. Yes, it was it was it was captured by many individuals separately to one another. So it's good evidence to show something was in the sky. But well, I think it proved, if anyone needed proof, I think it proved the existence of UFOs. Well, yes, unidentified flying objects, yes. Exactly. It did not prove the existence of extraterrestrial craft. No. Right. So what do we need in order to prove? What kind of evidence? What is the strongest evidence that you know of, Tony, apart from uh, your personal experience? That the I thought the the recently released information that the government of the USA put out, which is I mean, if people do a search on the internet for the the what's it called? It looked like um, a spinning top that the the pilots were chasing down. Do you see that one? Um, oh, the yes, the, the tic tac that flew at tremendous the tic tac thing, yeah, yeah. and. What was for the benefit of the listeners who haven't heard this, the American government released some footage a few months back now of two classified instances, which have now made public, where fighter pilots, these are obviously trained personnel in the sky all the time, caught on camera some weird things and they followed them. And these objects were behaving so beyond our physics, let's put it that way. And at tremendous speeds, making amazing turns. And these were captured on film from the camera in the cockpit's point of view. So this is pretty good evidence to suggest some flying object, which has got incredible maneuverability and at incredible speed, has been captured. Now, the American government also went on to say that they didn't know what this thing was. 
It's not captured. It's captured on on camera. Sorry, yeah, not physically captured, not but captured exactly. on camera. And the mm. and the footage was pretty pretty amazing because it showed this spinning top type thing. You know those and the audio of the excited yeah of the the pilots the radio. Saying, the, the there was there were two people on board. You see, mm. there was the the pilot and then the electronic warfare person i don't know what what exactly the designation is this is the second person in a two in a two man f- uh, aircraft one person flies and the other person mans the weapons and electronic systems and so on and yeah. so forth and it was this second person who had managed to train the cameras on this object not just training but training and keep it keep it on the object and it is his excitement you can hear and and it kind of adds a certain a certain degree of authenticity because yeah. he's 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 not worried that it's a ufo he's congratulating himself that he's captured it <laughs> yeah on the camera, you know yeah. which is a very sort of real very human emotion yeah. and I, that's what i felt from 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 watching it that what i was looking at was real yes. uh, apart from the fact that it was published by the united states air force and even though the united states government is kind of dodgy I think the Air Force wouldn't have put out. I can't see what the Air Force would have gained from putting out um, an image like that. Uh, sorry, a video like that. Yeah, yeah. So, talking about it in the realms of our show about evidence, it's mm. it's it's compelling evidence because clearly these fighter jets traveling at you know, high speed were chasing this thing, mm. and it was obviously evading. <laughs> it was traveling even faster than they were. And they well, were it was also executing high G turns yeah. that you couldn't, that they couldn't planes plan. couldn't. Yeah, you yeah. wouldn't have thought the plane could. I believe it went, I, th- I believe that one of them actually sort of dove into the sea, traveled underwater for a bit, and then came, and it came back up. Yeah, that was and the tic tac one because there was, uh, it, so it was it, yeah, it was scooting along. There's the picture of the plane uh, catching it on the camera of it scooting just a few feet above the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. And then it went under the water mm-hmm. and then it came back up out of the mm-hmm. water. And uh, this thing was traveling at a rate of knots. And the pilot was, you know, he's, he's exasperated as to what the heck it was. So mm-hmm. they weren't aware or didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So the evidence itself is compelling in that. What the heck was that thing? It doesn't make it again. It doesn't make it extraterrestrial it doesn't it just makes it compelling evidence to show it is there's something going on what is that thing and it's a question unanswered now you can then hypothesize and theorize as to what it is could it be a special drone of of you know by a foreign adversary it could be you can't dismiss it it could be man-made by you know China or Russia or some other organization. So you can't dismiss that either. You can't necessarily say it is extraterrestrial in origin, although that is one of the explanations for it. Mm-hmm. Could it be? So the evidence is amazing, but it's still not a slam dunk for UFOs, is it really? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. In fact, I think when it comes to UFOs, you mean extraterrestrial? Sorry, I must clarify that. Exactly. Yes. I always I make the same mistake myself yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to extra, extraterrestrials, I think we're actually going to have to shake hands with one. Yes. I don't think there's anything, or or contact, or you know, yeah. receive 
a communication, hello, we're here. Something that's more concrete than some mysterious object that's acting peculiarly in the sky. Well, saying about evidence, that funny you should say that, do you say about communication? It depends on how you view communication. Do you remember the wow signal that was received? I'll, I'll explain it for the benefit of our listeners. Well, if you're I vaguely not remember. Yeah. Explain, it, remind me. Yeah, what it was, there was a, the one of the, the telescopes, or maybe not the telescope, one of the radars that were positioned, newly positioned in a different area of space to to listen out for radio waves and signals. Oh, this is the SETI space. program thing. I'm not sure if it was SETI, but it was certainly mm. someone in the scientific community. Okay. And they positioned the radar on a different part of the of the sky, on a different area of the of the galaxy, to listen in. And they recorded a sequence of signals which the operator realized could not have been random and that message he actually circled and put wow in exclamation marks next to it mm. it was brief but it was it was uh, um, almost a, uh, uh, i think he was saying it was a mathematical signal so it couldn't have occurred naturally and he put a wow moment and it only lasted uh, a number of seconds and then disappeared and then they, they've searched for it ever since and not found it again. And they would even they weren't even sure where it came from exactly in the cosmos. Mm. There's obviously debates going on as to whether it was picked up even from Earth. <laughs> yes, eventually. Yes. Yeah. Mm, they they bounced back from something on Earth. Yeah. They were wondering if it could have been something as simple as that. But they can't prove it because it was so fleeting it was only captured for a short period of time that they just did not, did not, you know, they couldn't actually say, you know, where it came from. So the evidence is there. They caught it. They've got it. It was strange and it's certainly not natural as far as they're aware, but where it originated is the problem. And because it can't be repeated, it's, it's a strange one. And also because it was so fleeting, they knew where they were pointing in space obviously they've got that but they don't know exactly in that region of space where that signal originated from so again it's a, it's become an unknown and it's a, a fascinating example of evidence which is contact in a in a way if you want to view it as communication they deem it as as some sort of communication but that's not slam dunk either no i'd put that as evidence by the way you wouldn't i put i put it as evidence i don't think that's evidence at all since there's a possibility that it's actually an Earth signal that was returned unexpectedly somehow, total internal reflection, uh, which is possible when uh, radio waves uh, uh, bounce against ionized particles in the sky. Mm. So if there was a, for instance, a sunspot and a solar flare, and the ionized particles, just at that precise moment, just, you know, at that very, very particular point in time happened to be in the right place to bounce signals back that that would explain why you got that signal and it would also explain why it was so fleeting and why it disappeared so there are alternatives to it being an extraterrestrial of extraterrestrial origin and we can scale it on 0 to 10 what would you give one 
one. Wow. It's just a one. It's just something that you just, you remember it in case you come across it again. If you forget it and you, and you come across something like that again, and you've forgotten this one, then you're doing humanity a disservice. I think one is a bit too low. I wouldn't put it high, but I'd give it maybe a three or a four because it's not like they've not been listening for sounds for years. It's been ever since the we've got telescopes, ever since we've got the um, the big dishes, we've been listening to the sky and nothing, nothing has come across like this before. So to to say it was just a one is a little bit low, in my opinion. I would grade it a lot higher than that because it's unusual. And it, it, it caught caught them by surprise. It was like, wow, it is a wow moment. And for our listeners, if you search the internet for the wow signal, you will find pictures and some, some blurb and information about it. I would put it higher than that because, mm. yes, they're trying to ascertain where it came from or almost disprove it. But again, the examples that they're giving to disprove it aren't as strong either. So it's a bit of an unknown again. So it's, it's pretty fascinating evidence, not a slam dunk because we don't know. And that's the key. But it's still fascinating evidence. I would give it a three or four out of, out of 10 just for the, the not the novelty, but the wow moment that it created. So it, it needs further listening to corroborate it and, and try and see if we can hear it again. Who knows? Oh, I think I, that's what I'm saying, that you can listen for it again. But following Occam's razor, I've got a yeah. far easier explanation, a far simpler explanation than it was of extraterrestrial origin. That's why I'm giving it a one, because it's not inexplicable. If we didn't have any radio signals and we, it was some kind of image rather than a radio signal... And there were, let's say it happened 500 years ago, before, before the advent of radio, and what the person fleetingly saw and was somehow able to record was some weird anomaly in the sky. That would be a wow, because there's no other explanation for it. It's like, well, what's that doing in the sky? But because there's an alternative, easier explanation, then Occam's razor says you have to take the easiest explanation, mm -hmm. which is that it's of human origin. And that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm saying it's a one. But if that, if I don't know how many years ago that happened, mm -hmm. I think it was quite a while now. If they're pointing at that that spot in the sky, and there's another one, then then at this point in time, we've got to start stop talking about. Well, you know, is that really a human? Is that really of human origin? Mm -hmm. You can you can look and see there's a solar flare at the time. You can say, well, Tyler's idea about solar flares and whatnot and ionized particles is all hogwash. You know, like this, like that. You can, start, you can start crossing out alternatives and then that's where you start getting strong evidence. Like you say, it's repeated and that's what makes it stronger. But a one-off yes, uh, one thing is, is no good. Very now, good. for my last discussion about, about evidence, evidence yeah. I'll, I'll talk about reincarnation. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And the children. Hmm. Now, there are children who have memories that they really shouldn't have under normal circumstances, memories that we can't explain. And it just comes back to this thing I've just been talking about now, about the radio signal, the wow moment. Yeah. If it was just one, that would just be a mystery and that would be the end of it. It's the fact that there are thousands of them, well well recorded, properly properly looked at, properly researched. Uh, I think it's um, over 3,500 now. 
by the University all over of, the world, aren't they? And all, all over children, the world, yeah. by the University of Virginia alone, and there are other people now looking at it also, other uh, universities. This guy, Sheldrake, I think his name is, Richard Sheldrake, the, the scientist who's into the paranormal. I think he's also had, um, he's also doing something along those lines. Okay. And the, it's the, the fact that you keep hearing the same thing over and over from children who don't know each other and who have been investigated by different investigators that makes it some form of evidence. And just depending on how deep you want to go into what they say, it, it starts scaling up from, you know, one, two, three, on our scale of one to 10. Yeah. And it starts going towards the sort of eight nines. It's like, well, I, you know, I'm going to sit here and watch you squirm as you try to explain this. You know, how did this person know where there was gold hidden in a wall? This is, um, I forget her name, the, the Indian girl who was investigated by Mahatma Gandhi. He set up a commission to investigate her claims. And when she went back to, she was 13 or so at the time, and they finally took her back to her, her husband's, the man she said that she was married to. She, she, the commission took her back to his house, and she was going around and identifying things. And then she, she went to the wall and said, is my gold still here? <laughs> And the husband confessed that he had always known about the gold. And when she died, he took it and sold it. Okay. And she wasn't pleased, by the way. I mean, that's that. Could it be? I mean, that's not it, what I know of that. Yes, it's it's an interesting claim about reincarnation. And as the evidence is creeping up because so many oh, children. No, but I, I'll, I'll give you an example as well. But here's a counter argument against that. Could these children have picked up this thought, vision, whatever you want to call it, and had it planted somehow, as opposed to them living again? They've just picked up this thought. So it's a planted thought. That can't be dismissed either as a potential. Do you see what I mean? Unless yes. unless the the evidence can be proven that they did exist before physically. I mean, they, uh, your evidence so far is compelling, absolutely. But the main researcher was a man called Dr. Ian Stephen, Ian Stevenson. He was the main researcher. He got a grant of a million dollars in 1960 to start investigating this from somebody who was obviously a wealthy individual who was really interested in reincarnation. Over the years that he, I think he died in late 90s or early noughties, not really certain. He came across this objection that it could be, you know, thought transference. I think it was what yeah. it was called. Yeah. And his defense against that was this. Many of these children who died violently are born with birthmarks, which equate to the injuries the former personality, which is what it's called, the former personality would have received. So those who died of gunshot wounds would have birthmarks where there were entry wounds and exit, in some cases, exit wounds. And these would be known from the autopsy reports. So that would not suggest thought transference. That suggests that you're dealing with the actual entity. And that was his response. And the name of the, the girl I'm talking about, it was uh, Shanti Devi, S-H-A-N-T-I, and surname Devi, D-E-V-I. 
And if you can look her up, Shanti Devi, you hear all about the gold and everything like I'm talking about. She left us, when did she leave? 1987. I didn't know she died that long ago. I thought she was still around. She was born in 1926, so that should have been Yeah, she would have been quite old. She would have been yeah, but yeah. there we go. Yes, you can look her up and uh, read her, the case. There's several, Indeed. several places. And she, she was investigated by the commission. And what was interesting is that the commission was heavily, um, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, the, the number of people in the commission who were skeptics and were determined to pull her down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it wasn't, don't get the impression that she was investigated by pro-reincarnation people, was people who were trying to pull it down for political reasons, because they, they were going up against the Hinduism and trying to stop, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, and uh, they just got to the end of it and were like, well. <laughs> the conclusion left them stumped, so the evidence was it, so compelling. Exactly. Okay, exactly. We're, we're, I'm mindful we're reaching the end of the show. Do you have any any final thoughts, Tayo, on, on this evidence piece? That I think got? evidence is this. When is a strong evidence? When it is strong evidence, it doesn't require you to make any assumptions. The evidence speaks for itself. And that, to me, is what strong evidence is. So if you're ever dealing with evidence or what somebody else is claiming to be evidence, you need to ask yourself, what assumptions, if any, is this person making in order to claim that this is evidence? That's why vestigial organs failed from the beginning because you have to you have to assume that evolution is is true and uh, in other other evidence uh the, the ufo evidence you have to sort of assume that ufos exist or extraterrestrials do but when you got a piece of 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 foreign material in your hand that you can't analyze that defies molecular analysis you don't need to make any assumptions anymore and that becomes a compelling piece of evidence. Absolutely. But evidence of what? That we don't know. Indeed. Yeah. So, yes, for benefit, when someone makes a claim, what is their evidence? And on a scale of one to 10, how compelling is that evidence? These are the questions we should be asking when anybody purports to make a claim about a certain subject which we won't touch on because they can cover a multitude of things. But unfortunately, we have reached the end of the show for another week. If you enjoy listening to our show, why not mention our show to any colleagues, friends and family who you think would like it too? And you, the listeners, can always send in any comments and feedback about what we are discussing on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the tnt talk show if you leave any comments or questions on the facebook page Teo and i will do our very best to try and answer those questions on a subsequent show or even live on air remember you can also listen to our show on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts amazon alexa and all other good audio platforms if you simply want to search for past episodes of the show just go to google and search for the tnt talk show and you will find them finally tayo and i thank you again for tuning in and we'll catch you all again next time